Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com He brought me Robin Hood and I read it and uh, I just... I just became fascinated. I work on a, I work on, a, on the television show Arrow. The other part of my job is I have an archery school, like Opus Archery. We're the only school, I, I believe, we're the only school that teaches what we teach, which we've broken down into something we call the four disciplines. So imagine if I gave you a rifle and as soon as you look through the sight, your barrel disappeared. It's just like in America, in the United States, you guys call a flat bow a long bow. But I hesitate to say it's not. The bow in Finland that drew me there is an incredibly unique, it's a composite bow. It's a composite bow out of two woods. Number one question I get, Sam, is, so, um, how do you do a competition? And I'm like, that does not define archery. It's a stick, it's a string, and it's another stick, but here we are. <laughs> and yeah, it, that's, that rounds out my job pretty well. This is Patricia Gonzalez, and you're listening to Living Country in the City, episode 32. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in for episode 32 of Living Country in the City. If y'all haven't done so already, make sure you search for Living Country in the City on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to make absolutely sure that you don't miss out on any new episodes. Also, if you're already subscribing, I'd ask you to take a quick moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. Now, I know these requests are really easy to ignore. I'm guilty of it, too, you know, just moving on and listening to the podcast. But however passionate I am about sharing new content with y'all every week, I can't do it without your help. And leaving that rating and review gives a huge boost to the podcast visibility and my ability to bring on new guests. Now, a huge thank you to everyone that's already taken the time to leave that rating and review. Y'all are as much a part of this podcast as I am. For the rest of y'all that haven't yet, head on over now. It's really easy to do, and y'all don't even need to pause the podcast while you're leaving that rating. Now, for episode 32, I'm taking a little more of a departure from my content focused more directly on hunting to talk a little bit about archery. Uh, I was introduced to today's guest, Patricia Gonzalez, by a friend with the Pasadena Roving Archers, one of the oldest archery clubs in the U.S. and the group that manages my local range in Lower Arroyo Park in Pasadena. Now, she's traveled the world studying forms of traditional or instinctual archery from countless different countries and time periods. And she currently serves as the archery trainer and consultant for the DC comic shows Arrow, Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow, as well as being founder and head instructor of Lycopus Archery in British Columbia. Now, with the recent resurgence of traditional archery among hunters, I thought it would be very interesting to have her on. So, Patricia, thanks for hopping on the call with me today. No problem. My pleasure. So, uh, why don't you give us just a little bit of an introduction, uh, about who you are just in a little bit of your history with archery, how you got okay. started in it. How I got started. Um, I love this story. Uh, of course, I've told the story a lot. Um, when I was younger, uh, my, my father, we were, he was a bit of a rebel. Gee, I wonder where I got that from. <laughs> uh, and we, we eventually um, moved on to a boat in, uh, in Florida and I didn't, obviously it's a boat. This is, I'm not going to tell you what year it was, but it was before Wham. Um, <laughs> uh, so there was not, no TV. I mean, there was really, there was no TV. So I got given books and I listened to uh, old time radio plays, but lots of books. And uh, he brought me Robin Hood and I read it. And uh, I just, I just became fascinated with 
um, the story a lot more about the story uh, than just the archery or the the story of Robin Hood the outlaw. Like sort of more about the. As I got older, it was a lot about what the political climate was at the time. Uh, why Robin was uh, stealing from people like bishops who are from the church. And, you know, as a kid, you're not ever told that the church did anything wrong. But here is this hero. Like, so the whole political climate of it and the whole aspect of like there being two kings and it, it just sort of expanded from there. Uh, I really wanted to learn archery. Of course, it turned into may I have a bow dad like 50 million <laughs> times. Like, I don't know if you're a Simpsons fan, but right out of the may we have a pool. Can we have a pool dad? Can we have a bow dad? And he always used a joke that it was a good thing he didn't give me the three musketeers first. Oh, jeez, That could have gone in. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think part of what interested me about archery after reading Robin Hood is I realized that there was lots of other books with archery in them, but not as the main thing, uh, like The Last of the Mohicans, uh, uh, the White Company by Conan Doyle, like all those. It was all, all always there was a political climate or or something uh, more natural and instinctual about archery than anything else. And I I started shooting at a, at a pretty young age, um, and I I haven't really stopped except for at points where there just was not an option to do archery. There was no archery range. I mean, this was in the time, this was before the, the gun movies, the shoot 'em up gun movies. This is before gun culture. So you could still go to the Sears catalog and, uh, and purchase a, a bow out of the Sears catalog, which of course my dad was all too familiar with because I kept shoving them in his face. Like, <laughs> I, instead of, instead of being like the regular kid, I had like with circled toys, Star Wars toys. My, my Sears catalog was circled with different bows and arrows <laughs> and, and targets and stuff like that so that's pretty much how I got started and whenever there was just no option to do archery um I never had my own bow until I bought bought it at 16 um I just researched it as much as possible and that was one of the bonuses to living on a boat is you're sort of in a different place all the time so that gave me uh, access to different libraries all the t all the time so it was uh yeah I just never stopped from there it's fascination so now from growing up being a, a younger child obsessed with archery and then getting into it kind of in your teen years a little bit more uh, to now, what are, you, uh, what are you doing now with archery? What do I do now? Well, uh, first of all, I work on, um, I work on, a t on the television show Arrow. Um, and on the show, I, uh, I have a, a sort of like a, a wide range of jobs. They call me an archery technician. Um, uh, so a lot of my job is, uh, repairing, building, constructing and repairing arrows and bows as they become damaged on the show, um, figuring out ways to make things safe. Um, I train, uh, when we have anybody doing archery on the show, they need to, for safety reasons, uh, they need to be trained on how to properly shoot the bow as well as because we don't actually shoot arrows on the show. They're all CGI. So training someone to, to shoot arrows is completely different than training someone to actually dry fire a bow, which is shooting the bow without the arrow in it. I mean, that's a huge no-no in the archery world. <laughs> I was going to say, that that's was... the opposite of everything exactly. you learn in any and, other safety class. <laughs> um, I much rather have a student or, or an actor or a stunt person who has not ever done archery before because I had an actress, um, lovely young lady, lovely Honest, awesome young lady, Madison. She played Artemis last season, uh, but she had had training already, and she was actually trained by a friend of mine in L.A., uh, Jim McQuarrie at Pasadena Roving Archers. So when it came time for her to dry fire the bow, of course, Jim had drilled into her, no, 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 and now I was like, yes, 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 and she was like, <laughs> I would be like, let go, and she'd go, and I'm like, no, you see, you're supposed to be a badass archer. <laughs> Hesitating does not say, I am going to kick your ass. It says, ah! so um, that was a that was a it, um, that was a unique challenge. Like it's always a challenge to sort of get people. First, you have to show them how to shoot, and then once you take that arrow away, they lose the line. So instead of being nice and straight right across, they end up doing this this thing because there's Weird. no line to look down. Cocked like, out sort elbows. Of, and... I mean, yeah, you must shoot, you shoot a gun, obviously, right? So do you shoot a gun? Uh, I shoot, I shoot some rifles and I, and I shoot a compembo. Right. So imagine if I gave you a rifle and as soon as you look through the sight, your barrel disappeared and all you had was the little end of your sight at the end of your barrel, but your entire barrel was gone. And I'm like, go ahead, <laughs> shoot that thing, you know, like that's the thing. So 
it's a it's a it's in, training the stunt the the actors is always interesting because you have to train them to do archery and then you have to kind of train them to undo archery and just imagine it in their head. Now stunts is completely different when you're training a stunt person uh, because you need to get to know the stunts and I've spent the last five years really watching stunt coordination. Uh, I do martial arts um, anyway, a different not just archery because we consider archery a martial art. Uh, it's just, you know, it's really cool to watch how these guys uh, and ladies uh, work out the, the routines and the choreography and the speed that they have to go at. I mean, when you do sword fighting or any stick fighting, you do a lot of slow work. So that do you know what that means? Like it's you just move very slowly either by yourself or against an opponent. So you can learn how to anticipate hits when you're going at speed. Well, these people have to do this, but they don't hit. It's almost like dry firing the bow, right? It's like, yeah, I want you to, you know, come across and do this awesome kick punch and you watch it in slow motion. And then you realize that they got to do it fast and not actually hit each other. (laughs) And then we're going to throw a bow into that mix. So a lot of the a lot of the times what I'm teaching the stunt guys is just like any sort of uh, physical movement when you're doing something like that is getting the right timing, because if you get the timing off, it's just like, say, parkour. If your timing is off when you make that jump, you're going to face plant or whatever. If you pretend to reach for the arrow and draw the bow against your striking movement, everything is going to end up looking herky jerky. And there's there's some really good there's actually good shows out there that you can see that where the archery and the fighting ends up looking kind of awkward because there's <laughs> been no, I like training the stunt guys. They're, they're awesome fun to work with. And I think a lot of the times, and I don't know if you can put this on the air. I don't know. I would maybe not. <laughs> a lot of the times they get there and they think they're just going to stand there and shoot and that's all they're going to do. And by, you know, 20 minutes in, they're like, <laughs> did they, just, I'm like, all right, let's go again. And they're like, oh, okay. Cause I get them to jump over stuff and obstacles and stuff and fight each other. So even I can figure out where those, those motions need to go into and safely. So nobody's taking a bow to the face or other nether <laughs> regions. We, I've, uh, I've, I've taken a couple of releases to the face and, and definitely, uh, that's that's bad enough. I couldn't imagine taking a full uh, full flex limb to the face. I'd rather I'd rather not. I think I've caught my nose a couple times. Um, I've been shot in the ass. Um, oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yay for kids. Um, yeah. So that's that's what I do on Arrow. The other part of my job is I have an archery school, like Opus Archery, um, in uh, in Vancouver, and we teach. Um, we're the only school, I, th- I believe, we're the only school that teaches what we teach, which will be broken down into something we call the four disciplines. And in order to teach those four things, uh, when Arrow is on hiatus, which is two months of the year, uh, I, us- I head over to Europe and Asia and I meet with a lot of academics and uh, archers and we discuss the techniques and I try to learn as much as I can. And I visit museums and I film artifacts and I ride a lot of trains because I hate planes, and I ride a lot of ferries, <laughs> and uh, I meet some very, very awesome people. Actually, uh, I just made a post. I think archery is something – other than Australia, it's all over the world, right? Uh, every, we It's developed all over the world, and we have a huge resurgence in archery, especially a, a huge resurgence in traditional archery or instinctual archery. And there is a large, large international community, traditional archers. And when we compete, we wear costumes. And, um, I am somewhat of a political person. Uh, and I found myself walking down the street in Warsaw this year after a mounted archery competition with, uh, now friend Yagoda. She works with AMM archery in Poland, their mounted archery school. And, uh, my, my personal hero, Irina from uh, Malaysia, she's a mounted archer and she's like five foot two. (laughs) And, um, Yagoda is a Catholic, Marina is a Muslim, and I am a Stoic, and we were just, like, talking about archery, and just, we were just laughing, and it, you know, to me, I suddenly just had this moment where I was like, this is awesome, it's a stick, it's a string, and it's another stick, but here we are, and, yeah, that's, that rounds out my job pretty well, (laughs) my, yeah. No, I mean, I I definitely know what you mean, it's, it's probably not nearly that varied of a community but i recently got back from uh, a 3d archery competition out in utah and 
Ooh, has... ooh, I think I know the... Yeah, okay, uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, total archery challenge mm. um, in, out in Snowbird, and it was just... It was, it was amazing, and it's, you know, it's that same feeling of you go out there and, you know, you're, you're different people from different backgrounds, you know, and like I said, probably not quite as varied as, as you had uh, out there, but, um, you know, it's just archery bringing hundreds of people together, and, you know, mm-hmm. you're there for that, and other things don't matter for that time, and it's, it's, a, it's a really exactly. exciting thing, but... I mean, we do end up talking, of course, politics come up, given the countries that we're from. But almost every experience I've ever had, uh, there's if there's been a cultural difference, rather than it becoming like a headbutting incident, um, as we are more prone to do in North America, I find, than in Europe, there's the opportunity has been a, well, explain to me about your religion or your political belief. Um, there's never like a year wrong. And, and I find most of the archers that I've met internationally, both North America, South America, Europe, and Asia, that we all kind of tend to lean on the Robin Hood aspect of it. <laughs> we all, no matter what religion we might have or whatever, we all still kind of tend to lean towards the, you know, rob from the rich and give to the poor and do the right thing. <laughs> This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Um, so you, you did talk a little bit about the, the traveling you've done and learning different forms of archery. And so you've, you've really gone all over the world to kind of expand your knowledge of uh, as you said, you know, traditional or instinctual archery. What's uh, what are mm-hmm. what are some of the highlights of that? What are some of some of the more more fun uh, types of archery you've done, or some of the more interesting ones? Uh, if anybody's listen, anybody I know is listening to this podcast, they know what the next two two words are going to be: uh, Turkey and Finland. Um, I Turkey is. Uh, uh, actually, both those countries are. I would, I would consider them other homes over uh, with, along with Canada. Uh, Turkey. My first year um, when I went, which which is five years ago now, uh, Turkey was my first stop, and um, I have a big interest in in Roman uh, history as well. Uh, so it seemed fitting that uh, Turkey, Istanbul, would be my first stop. Uh, it covering a lot of Roman history as well as having a huge amount of archery. Um, I met, uh, I was introduced to a fellow uh, named Murat Osveri, and he has a, there is a, a traditional archery club, Tirandaz. Uh And I had a friend there, my friend Bora. Uh, he was my guide. He's, uh, there's a word in Turkish, it's Kardesh, and it means like brother, friend, family, friend, family. And I would, def- Bora is definitely, he's my brother. <laughs> uh, um so, yeah, I was introduced to this whole sort of new world because most of my research had been centered around first libraries and then the Internet. And there's so much information flying around. So, you know, I was introduced to this world of archers that do research and and so on and so forth. And I just fell in love with Istanbul and and the people in Turkey. It just, um, the Western media the depiction sometimes is is very incorrect. Turkey has got to be one of the friendliest and most amazing countries I have ever been to. And if I had an opportunity to move there, I would move there lickety split. <laughs> uh, 
but Arrow is, yeah. Uh, Finland, the uh, Finland is again. The people are incredibly friendly, and it's, again, friendly just seems so simple. Uh, it, it, they're just very kind people. Now, Finland is different um, from Turkey because, uh, because it's it's, um, it's got a, a lo- much lower population, and the people are much, much, much more connected to the land. Uh, I encourage you to look up the um, the Finnish uh, law of all men. And again, if I had the opportunity to move to Finland, I would. Um, uh, the bow in Finland that drew me there is an incredibly unique, it's a composite bow. It's a composite bow out of two woods. Um, I, most of my research, I would say that this is the bow that I can find the least information on. It's out there. It's definitely out there. Um, my, my connection in Finland is Marcus Lepola. And if you ever have an opportunity to meet and talk to a Finn, I highly encourage it. Their sense of humor is I can't even, I don't even, there's no word, there's no words in English to actually describe a Finn's sense of humor. And it's not just Marcus, although Marcus is on the far end of, he's going to laugh if he hears this. Um, and Mar- uh, Marcus is writing his thesis on this two wood bow. So it took me a while to find him. And uh, I ended up in Finland on a fluke. I got jammed up in Budapest my first year. The flight I was supposed to be going home on, you know, as flights do, they were like, oh, we have no room for you. I'm like, oh, great. That's uh, awesome. So my my agent rerouted me through Finland and I got into the airport and uh, the airport in Helsinki is amazing. And I was like, and I had a, a something insane, like a six beer layover. So uh, I started to research like Finland's really cold. Does it actually have a bow that works in the cold? Because, you know, the only bows I really knew about at that time that worked in ultra cold were the ones you find in, uh, in Canada, in Northern Canada, like uh, in, in Nunavut or the uh, Northwest Territories or Yukon uh, and they're a cable backed bow they have sinew wrapped around them like yards and yards of sinew and and, and there was this two wood bow and then I was like, in the airport I think I was on beer number four and I was like this is cool and I contacted Marcus and next thing I was, go- I was going there and he was showing we went to this little island and I was just like I love this country so um, it's very much like British Columbia where I am in Canada. So, and, and they've got a, a huge hunting culture. So, yeah. And so with the, you know, with these different types of bows, do you see a lot of difference in the, the styles of archery, what they're used for? Just, uh, what, what are some of the, the differences you see? Um, you know, cause a lot of the time I, I feel like, you know, you, you talk to someone like me, and, and I'm like, okay, you know, you got recurves, you got longbows, but, you know, shooting a trad bow, shooting a trad bow. I don't what, – what are some of the differences you see between cultures as far as shooting? Well, uh, that's a bit more – it's a difficult question to answer because everybody has a different I- idea, and it's really hard to sort of get everyone – it's impossible to get everyone on board. Sort of the horse bow is a good example. Um, we don't call us, I say this all the time, uh, you don't call a sword that you use from horseback a horse sword. The horse is not using the sword. You don't call a bow used from horseback a horse bow. We uh, I refer to them as Asiatic composite bows uh, because that is where they come from and that is what they are. And not all ACBs are used from horseback. Um, there was a lot of cultures who did both foot and horse. So to, to take any bow that is an Asiatic composite, um, like a Turkish bow or Mongolian bow and just blanket it as a horse bow, just, uh, yes, there's always, everybody has a sort of a different definition. So what we try to stick to is what I have gleaned from meeting multiple people who research archery for a living either they're academics or they're like myself and they're independent researchers or they're experimental archaeologists or etc etc it's important on that level when you're coming from a school to have classifications so people can understand and you can't but you can't be as rigid as to say these things don't overlap that's why i prefer the term asiatic composite over horse bow because then we have asiatic composite horse bow and foot bow (laughs) so it starts to get complicated uh it's just like in america in the united states you guys call a flat bow a long bow right but it's i hesitate to say it's not uh 
but in a way it's not they're they're not they're not long they're not they're not like six feet long and uh the distinct the distinctual thing of a longbow is that it has a d shape or a lozenge shape on the cross cut or or they're round right and they're usually sell they're they are self bows they're one piece of wood uh with or without horn knocks and the whole bow flexes when when you draw it unlike your american or American longbow, we say flatbow because using longbow, uh, then you end up with English longbow and then the Welsh people get pissed off and then, you know, <laughs> but they're made in Spain. So you see, there's a lot of complication there, but you take the American flatbow or the AFB as we, that's what we call it at Lycopus. And that is a bow rooted in uh, hunting. So it is shot different than say an Asiatic composite or even a longbow. There's a different, there's a different method and a discipline to to uh to shooting that uh does that answer your question <laughs> uh, yeah i think it does um it's it's a muddy water and the the reason i sort of like because i have a school it's important that we have some guidelines so people don't get confused uh that's why we say american flatbow over american longbow or a new one I recently heard the other day, uh, American semi-Indian longbow, which that's that's a bit of a mouthful, right? Like if I'm ever going to say that on camera, I'm going to really mess that one up. <laughs> so speaking of your school, uh, mm. you touched on a little bit earlier. You're saying there was four uh, was disciplines, four disciplines yeah. that you teach. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about those four disciplines. Um. So we break it, like I said, we break it down into four. Um, and by no means is this sort of like an accepted academic terminology. But again, this is something that uh, I have come up with just, just in talking to academics, how we break them down. So we start with the lithic bows, which are the paleolithic and the mesolithic bows. So those would have been the bows, uh, for lack of a better term, cave people would have used. Um, probably the bows in this artwork in in Spain. Um, I, I got to see that last year. That's why it's there. Um, uh, those, that, that is one of the oldest, uh, artworks depicting, uh, archery and that's in, uh, Castellón in Spain. Um, uh, so yeah, those are, that's like the Holmagard bow, which is the bow you find in the national museum in, in Denmark. It's the oldest bow in the world. Um, and it's a really, I wonder, I'm going to totally admit this. First time I saw it, I was like, I got all like teary eyed and sh stuff. And uh, this guy walked by and is like, it's okay. The animal's been dead for a long time. Oh, no. I was like, I was like, what? And then I realized like right next to the Holmogard bow, this is how focused I was on. This is how focused I get when I travel. Is this massive paleolithic elk? With like these, like, you know, we're, we're talking about the thing, something the size of a large vehicle, you know, you know. Oh, I know. I'm actually I'm <laughs> going into Idaho in about three weeks to chase elk. <laughs> right. So, you know what I'm talking about? And I'm just like, I'm just like, this is, this is like a monster elk. You know, of course, the first thing I look at when I look at the statue is, or at the skeleton is like, that would have tasted really good. But he was all like, it's okay. And I'm like, that's how focused I was at looking at this bow. I've seen it now four times. I have actually, they actually let me pick up it, like bring a chair in and just stare at it for hours, just looking at all the difference of it. So there's the Holmogard bow. There's a lot of other lithic bows. There's something called the Stelmore bow, which unfortunately we don't have anymore due to World War II and a whole lot of bombing. Um, there's Etsy's bow in Bolzano in Italy, which is a different shape from the Holmogard bow. And that's a Mesolithic bow or a Copper Age bow. So we sort of, we, we don't know how or the technique that they use to shoot these bows. Uh, I can tell you that Etsy, uh, the museum, um, they have a really cool uh, interactive device. Do you know who Etsy is? Um, Etsy? Etsy? I do not. He's like this cave dude found in, in the 80s, and uh, he's frozen in the Alps, and some hunters or some hikers found him, and they uh, they were like, oh, a lost hiker. They stole some of his stuff, and then they reported <laughs> him to the police. Yeah, yeah of course, right? They, they reported him to the police, and then the police went up, and they're like, oh, no, this is a – call the scientists. And everybody from Austria came, and, and Italy came, and there was a bit of an argument about who he belonged to. Italy got him. Um, there's a fantastic museum. Uh, he was just look him up. Um, you'll yeah, look him up. It's uh, O with the two dots on the top, T Z I. And he, but they recently found out that his last meal was bacon. Uh, but at the museum, there's kind of an how we all hope to go, right? That is exactly what I thought. <laughs> that is 
<laughs> I'm with you. Mm, I'm dying. There's an arrow in my shoulder, and I think I'm bleeding out. Yep. Bacon. <laughs> uh, I am so with you there, brother. Um, yeah, so he was mummified. Um, and they have an interactive table where you can sort of put your hands on the skeleton, like he kind of died like this, uh, and you can zoom in on the different parts of his body. So I went into this area of his body, and uh, he does have something called osochromiali, uh, which is, a, a they say it's a deformity. Um, I say it's a superhero um, thing <laughs> that happens to your bone. It happens to your bones in, in, inside here. Um so yeah, we teach that's, that's, uh, that's what, that's the lithics. We just call those the lithic bows. And again, we, we know that that because Otzi has also um, we know that he was probably shooting from the time he was young. The style of the technique, we don't know. We'll never know until we can time travel. Uh, the next discipline we teach, uh, is, uh, is, um, flat bow, American flat bow. Uh, so, you know, again, it's indigenous to North America, this sort of, low profile rectangular cross-section shape and and a static handle so just the limbs are moving like a lever the handle does not move and uh the next one is a longbow which is broken down into well with flatbow we do know the style we do know sort of how they're shot from um because obviously we still have a whole bunch of first nations people who are shooting bows and arrows we also have ishi from uh, uh saxton pope and his research on ishi and and photographs of how ishi shot and the different draws he used and uh it's sort of a matter that's always what interests me about the research is it's a mystery right you're trying to solve this stuff whether through its experimental archaeology or going to the world indigenous games and meeting with people and looking how they're shooting etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, so the, we teach that the flat bow is the majority is, it was designed for and is still used for. And I would say it is still the best bow for hunting it, the way you shoot it at a cant, you can definitely hide behind a tree. And it's something that we do as an example during class, we get a student to be a tree and another student to be a deer. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I'm like, can you see me? That kind of stuff. So, uh, after flat bow, we have the long bow, which we break down into three different types of bow, uh, the Viking long bow, the war bow, which is 80 pound draw plus, um, and the Victorian longbow. 80, wait, so an 80 pound draw traditional, this is not a compound bow with a nice let off and back wall. This is, no. uh, no training wheels, man. I can't even imagine trying to trying to shoot one of those uh well that's just that again that's part of what we teach so the method for teaching uh or the method for shooting a war bow uh again that's something that uh is included in my travel so this year i was in the netherlands um meeting with a fellow named chris uh and he shoots war bows he shoots all kinds of war bows so long long bow war bows and asiatic composite war bows so you see and again that that's where we're sort of breaking into terms when people say war bow we need to establish what does that mean a lot of people like to think war bows solely belong to the long bow category uh uh, War of the Roses, the bows that came off the Mary Rose, Hundred Years War, but sort of what we go with is anything over eighty pounds is something that's going to penetrate armor and kill you. I'd say so. <laughs> so that becomes a war bow. Uh, this year, uh, when I was uh, in the Netherlands with Chris, uh, we drove through Belgium to France and we went to Cressy and Anzincourt, which are two battles uh, from the Hundred Years' War. Uh, the Band of Brothers speech comes from Anzincourt, uh, from Shakespeare's uh, Henry. Uh, so I, I, when I was at Cressy, uh, I got to shoot um, a 48-pound longbow that was given to me by a fellow named Lee Ankers, um, Harry longbows in uh, in in the UK uh, and it was really cool because here I am shooting on the actual battlefield uh, a longbow uh, that is not a war bow um, <laughs> it is only 48 pounds uh, but Chris at the same time we were filming and he was showing me his technique for drawing the war bow now you I had a vehicular collision a few years ago so I'm pushing it at 60 pounds um, but I'm willing to try the technique with a with a practice riser that has uh, uh, surgical tubing on it. So that's something our school will do is we're hoping to bring Chris out in February to teach us this technique. So that would be the war bow. There you go. <laughs> uh, the Viking longbow is uh, we've you know uh, we have a fellow on staff, Stephen Fox, and 
he wrote his thesis on on Viking Irish Viking longbows, the Ballandary bow in Ireland, which I went to see last year. Uh, Stephen was able to get me into the museum and meet the curator, and we did some filming. Stephen now lives here in Canada, uh, and I have brought him from Ireland, <laughs> and he works with me in Arrow. But also, he we brought him here a few years ago to teach an entire class on building a Viking longbow, like basically. So that's something we teach us that's part of those disciplines. So when you do each discipline, you have the opportunity to learn to build everything that goes around the bow, the bow, the arrows, the arrowhead, the, the fletching, yaddy, the quiver, the armor, the clothing. So Victorian longbow, you know, we have had young women be like, oh my God, the dresses. And, <laughs> but the cool thing about the dresses and the tailcoats that the men wore, some of them had hidden quivers in them. Like I have a tailcoat that I've made that, um, it has a hidden quiver in the tail, and on the sleeve is uh, is a leather bracer that can be hidden by folding a piece of cloth over. So, oh, I'm out on the archery range. Oh, Pasha, I need to go for tea. Quick, let me hide all this stuff and go and look like a normal person when secretly I am an assassin. I'm so, okay with uh, that. I'm okay with that. Right? <laughs> right? Uh, so that's the longbow, and the last discipline we teach is the Asiatic composite, and we are hoping to branch out into a mounted archery school uh, in the near future, working with, again, the, the folks in Poland at AMM and, and bring them over here to teach a clinic and then train our instructors to be able to, to teach. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, so with all of these different types of archery and, and bows that you've, you've experienced and learned about, if, if somebody came to you and said, all right, you've got to pick, you are only allowed to shoot one bow, one type of bow, one type of archery for the rest of your life, you have to make the choice, what would it be? Arrow, I, arrow to your uh, head. <laughs> uh, oh, arrow to my head, not to my knee. Um, oh. Arrow to my head. I uh, that would you know. Hmm. That's not a fair question. I, it... I I plead the fifth. I don't want to answer that question. <laughs> well, maybe. How about how about a, a top three then? If, uh... You know, it it's sort of it's it, the reason I say it's an unfair question is it depends. What am I doing with this? Is this po- post apocalyptic <laughs> world where I'm being asked to choose a bow? Um, you know, is this like a hunting situation? Am I in a survivalist situation? I think I would probably choose uh, the home guard um, just because of the the physics of that bow are incredible. This is I hate it. I don't like it when people refer to that or the Holmgard bow as a primitive bow because there is absolutely nothing primitive about it. You take the Holmgard compared to a longbow, and a longbow is a primitive bow. Um, yeah, I think longbow would be the one I wouldn't choose. Okay. Um, well, so t- tell us again about a little more about the construction of the Holmgard. Uh, so when you have a bow, uh, the part that faces you is called the belly and the part that faces your target is called the back. Um, I was kind of expecting from pictures of the Holmogard it to be a little bit more like a flat bow to have that like very rectangular sort of cross section to it, but it's not. Um, and, and when you look at a longbow as well, um, a longbow, the belly is usually rounded and the back is flat, right? That's what that, 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 that cross section is what gives the longbow its definitive sort of longbow shape. Um, the Holmgard is rounded at the back and flat on the belly. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out where, if it's reaction wood that they've used, um, that that's been used, it is elm. Um, I can explain what reaction wood is in a minute if you want. Um, or if it's just a piece of elm, like where's the, where's the heartwood? Where is the sapwood on the bow? Is the sapwood on the belly? Uh, and the heartwood is on the back, or is it the other way around, like a longbow where the sapwood uh, or the heartwood is on the belly and the sapwood is on the back? Like if you look at a longbow, you look at depictions of uh, medieval longbows or or the bows off the Mary Rose, you, they're made out of you. There's a distinct um, difference in coloration from the sap and the, and the heartwood. So, so what I, exactly, I mean, what's the difference between, say, the sap and the heartwood? So... Uh, if you if you've ever eaten a carrot or cut a carrot in half uh, uh, crosswise, you can see there's that that piece in the middle that's actually very really sweet, tastes really good. 
that's the best part of the carrot. And then there's that kind of the coarser sort of outside part. So if you think of a tree, the heartwood is that sweet piece in the middle and the sapwood is the stuff around the outside. It's called sapwood because that's where the sap travels through, right? So the heartwood is what allows the wood, the tree to flex and the sapwood is what keeps it all together. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah. Keeps when you it from when just you flopping over, <laughs> keeps it from flopping over or whipping and and bending too much, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and each tree has a obviously uh, each tree has a different kind of uh, interior heartwood sapwood combination. Some are very flexy, some are not. Uh, some are too flexy. That that some are meant to you know like you take a cedar tree on the Pacific coast here, and you know that tree really needs the flex because there's some strong strong winds going on. But uh, cedar doesn't exactly make a great bow sometimes because it is very flexy, right? So you take yew wood um, from the yew tree, and all of the longbows off the Mary Rose came from Spain, uh, Spanish yew wood. Um, and as I said, there's a distinct different color. This and the sapwood and the heartwood are put the way they are uh, back and belly because the heartwood does not when you bend the bow heartwood doesn't want to come under compression right it, it doesn't want to which is why it's inside the tree and the sapwood doesn't want to come under tension uh, which is why it's on the outside of the tree uh, so when you bend that you're creating all of that energy that stored energy we refer to it as the dynamic inside of the bow now when you take uh, a bow made with reaction wood um, usually it goes the other way around. The heartwood is on the on the back and the sapwood is on the belly. And that's that's sort of like a gray area of research at, at this point for me. I haven't quite got into that very much, which is why I would like to know uh, where the heart and sapwood are located on the Homeguard bow. Is it, which, which, which way is it? Same with Etsy's bow, actually, because Etsy's bow is unfinished uh, as far as we can tell. It's still got little knife nick marks in it. Uh, so... Again, it's something that uh, when I was looking at Etsy's bow, uh, the ba- it's shaped like a round bow. It's a D-shape. It's uh, round and flat. Um, but it, I don't think it, it, it wasn't strung. So we don't, I don't know. Hmm. That one. That one's kind of a, I don't know, some people are out um, uh, out in the, we're still trying to figure that out. That one's out in the field there right now. Um, but the use of reaction wood is, is also an important thing. So react, you find reaction wood in the Finn Ugric bows in, in Finland and Siberia. Gotcha. There's a, there's definitely a lot that you can do with the same materials, just slightly adjusting shape and placement mm-hmm. and, and it can really Absolutely. make a difference in how the bows, how the bow flexes and how it's used and, and all of that. Um, so, okay. As we're, as we're kind of coming close on time, I always, one thing I always like to end with is a little, um, maybe encouragement. You know, my podcast is kind of directed at people that are, that are very new to this stuff and, um, or maybe just haven't been exposed to it a whole lot. So if, uh, what would you say to somebody that, uh, that's, interested in getting into into archery or bow hunting or, or any of this but but they feel like I just don't even know where to start or I'm intimidated by this there's just too much to learn what would you say to those people um archery is 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 super diverse and that that is both the beauty of it as well as that sort of overwhelming feeling you have as I said Australia is the only place that never developed their own indigenous archery because they didn't really have to um So I would say to someone new is there is no wrong type of archery. Uh, There's no wrong way to do archery. Well, there is uh, the way we teach it. uh, It's a wrong way. If you are in pain, that is, that is the wrong way. We at Lycopus and myself personally, we embrace sort of part of the Kyoto, the Japanese archery uh, aspect of it, of the Zen aspect, the, the focus and the form first and then when that comes, then we're going to teach you to instinctually aim. Uh, so we don't actually teach aiming per se. We teach it instinctually that it's just going to come naturally. Uh, so we teach form first. Now, some people, uh, archers will say, oh, that's it. Just do uh, whatever makes you comfortable. Just pull the string and and go and let the arrow go and go and, and, and that's good. So, you know, we have some of my students go to other archery ranges and, and the way we teach the method we teach, which we call the forward lift and draw or the FLD method. Other people will come up and say, oh, no, 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 that's wrong. It has to be like this. And this is to me, 
that can be super intimidating. So if you go to a range and you want to learn, uh, the best thing to do is find somebody who is a certified coach or a knowledgeable archer. Um, you are probably, most people, when they start out, they're going to go to the range, they're going to get taught Olympic style. Not as, there's not a, a lot of schools out there, I don't think, that put in as much research as, as we do um, at our school. So, you know, if you want to learn a specific style, you might get some resistance or different ideas just keep an open mind is the best thing I can say but if someone is telling you to do something and it is hurting and they are not listening to you as far as something causing you pain then you need to walk away from that person and find somebody else there's lots of really good archery schools in all over the world um, but just remember that there are so many different styles out there don't get stuck a lot of people go in and they get stuck on the Olympic draw and that's it for them just just try to uh, if you are really interested in archery it has a it has a 70 almost 70,000 year history so it's been with us since we were like hmm throwing a stick at a mastodon is probably a bad idea um, <laughs> um so or here comes a saber-toothed tiger throw a rock throw a rock uh just just remember that that's what i that's what i mainly try to tell people remember the broad history that uh our sport and our martial art has it's a sport it's a hunting tool it's a martial art it's pretty diverse try and go out there and do as much as you can watch youtube videos there's lots of good people there's lots of not so good people <laughs> you start to be part of the archery community on facebook or wherever and you start to figure out who the people are and who the people aren't and just like any community you are going to run into people who are complete dorks uh and you're going to run into people who are full of all kinds of information uh just don't be daunted just just keep trying be be Katniss Everdeen <laughs> well they didn't give her any training Jennifer Lawrence apparently the story goes she didn't she she asked for archery training and they were like what pull the string back <laughs> so she went and found the best archer she could which in most people's mind means an Olympian but Katniss was a hunter so she probably would have been better off finding a hunter to show her how to do archery. Right? <laughs> but that's something that people don't know that you say archery and they, the number one question I get, Sam is so, um, how do you do a competition? Yeah. And I'm <laughs> like, that is not define archery. Now I do compete in traditional in Turkey. Uh, so, and I did really bad this year. So I love it when people are like, so uh, so you're pretty good in competition, AM. I actually know I shot a whopping three out of uh, 76 this year. <laughs> My response was, I walked away with nine broken arrows and one that was cracked. <laughs> so <laughs> I walked away with a super pretty costume and some really beautiful arrows that shot like hell. And I shot like hell. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't let people get you stuck on archery as competition. 3D is fun. You know, go out and have fun. Um, right eye dominant, left eye dominant, right hand dominant, left eye dominant. Oh, I'm cross hey, you know eye what? dominant, and I, you know, it's. A we pain. don't like. I said we don't shoot. <laughs> we don't teach aiming. We don't teach eye dominance. We let you start if you're left-handed and you're right-eye dominant. Let you figure it out. We you can shoot both ways, and our school offers you the opportunity. Uh, to learn ambidextrous, and we encourage everyone to, to learn it ambidextrous. So if people wanted to uh, kind of reach out, follow what you're doing, or find out more about the school, uh, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find the school at Lycopis Archery, L-Y-K-O-P-I-S, archery, all one word, um, dot C-A. Lycopis means she-wolf in Greek. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at the same thing, Lycopis Archery. Um, you can find me and the interesting, funny, remarkable, stupid, ignorant things that I do sometimes when I'm researching and all of the fun videos from set and stuff that I'm allowed to show, um, at, uh, Epic Archer on Facebook. You can reach me through Epic Archer. Uh, that's probably the best place to, to reach me personally. And you can reach Lycopus either through Facebook, uh, on online at the, at the webpage, or you can email info at lycopusarchery.ca and my wonderful manager, Stephanie, will get back to you. Fantastic. And I'll make sure to link to all of those uh, and everything we talked about. I'm going to have a list of websites to look up for this episode for sure. Just don't don't ask me for spoilers. <laughs> oh, definitely not. My my ears are closed on those. I, I... Oh, that's like my number one question. Can you tell me? <laughs> no, I can't. I don't want to know. Don't ask me. I want to see it as it comes out. So uh, 
But I will definitely list those up on the show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 32 for episode 32. Um, thank you so there much. There are lots of ranges. Just, sir, I know you got to oh, go. No, I was no. going to say, there are some fantastic ranges in L.A. And uh, if you are in L.A., I know it's a giant sprawling city. <laughs> but uh, I strongly recommend, if you are wanting to get into archery, go down to Pasadena Roving Archers. Yes. Obviously, in Pasadena, that's the second oldest outdoor range in America. So you all should be proud and go down and support those folks because uh, they have a, a bit of a fight on them from some people in the area. But uh that is one of the oldest ranges, outdoor ranges. So 1928, I think. And the folks down there are fantastic. No, I definitely. And that's how that's how I was introduced to you was through some of the folks over there. So I definitely. Aren't they awesome? I love every time I'm in L.A. I have to. I always my travel agents like you can come back on this day. I'm like, no, 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 no. I need a day to shoot. <laughs> well, next time you're in L.A., you'll have to you'll have to give me a heads up and maybe I can come out and join you. That sounds like a challenge. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Oh, I'm going to break some more arrows. Uh, I'm going to bring all the bows. All the bows are going to come. <laughs> well, I I will definitely look forward to that then. And uh, thank you so much for hopping on the show with me today. I really appreciate it. And uh, we will have to talk again soon. No problem. Take it easy, Sam. You too. All right. Bye-bye. All right, y'all. That'll do it for episode 32 of Living Country in the City. Hopefully y'all found something in there that uh, possibly piqued your interest and inspired you to dig a little bit deeper into different forms of archery, or maybe it just inspired you to pick up a trad bow for the first time around. Y'all can check out the details on everything we talked about, as well as links to follow Patricia and Lycopus Archery on the show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 32. Make sure y'all are subscribing as I've got some very exciting new guests coming up over the next few podcasts, and don't forget to leave that rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. But in the meantime, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. So they unlocked the door for me so I could pull it for the shot. And two hours later, I had kept saying pape and rillage instead of rape and pillage. <laughs> <laughs> and right as I finally got it, and, you know, I did get it a couple times, but then I just looked so frustrated on my face. I'm just like, <laughs> so I finally got it. And some British tourist guy jumped in front of the camera and was like, boo. And <laughs>